0: Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to Deutsche Grammophon's international podcast series. I'm Sarah Willis, and I love podcasting with the Yellow Label's star-studded cast of musicians. My guest today is an extraordinary musician and music communicator who is, in fact, so busy that I think there must be some clones of him out there. I really have no idea how he manages to do everything star violinist, media presenter, author, director of a chamber orchestra, creator of crazy wonderful projects like lockdown live streams from his living room, and he's even a president. I'm looking forward to finding out more. We might need several podcasts with him to cover everything, but let's get started. Welcome, Daniel Hope.
1: Thank you very much indeed, Sarah. (laughs) Delighted to be here.
0: I'm so happy to see you here. And we promised that we would not dissolve into giggles because us two Brits, (laughs) we have this crazy sense of humour. We were talking about this the other day, about uh, not dissolving into giggles and taking things very seriously. Absolutely. We are going to do the best we can, dear listeners. We shall try. (laughs) And if we do giggle... We hope you giggle along with us. (laughs) (laughs) So my first question, Daniel, how on earth do you manage all this?
1: I have no idea. I think it's a mixture of relentless energy, love of music, extremely tight planning with a wonderful team, an amazing family that allows me to do what I do. That
0: was going to be my next one. And a very patient wife. (laughs) Extremely (laughs)
1: patient, wonderful kids. And it's, it's a combination of things. I mean, I wanted to play the violin since I was four years old. And very early on, I realized that playing the violin was a great joy, but there were other things connected to music that I also loved. And so I wanted to try and do more than that. And I guess I've just been on that course now for 40 years.
0: 40 years. How did that happen? I don't
1: know. <laughs> Let's not go there.
0: <laughs> no, definitely not. You've said often in interviews that it's not enough just to play your instrument these days, that it's very important to communicate about what we do and I think there's no greater example of that than you. It's also a passion of mine. It's it's so important that we reach different audiences, reach different generations. But looking on paper at all the things you do, I mean who coordinates all that for you?
1: I mean, I coordinate it with my team. I have a team, a small team, but an incredibly hardworking team around the clock. I have my own in a sense, corporation that makes everything happen, and um, that's me, <laughs> with partners, partners around the world, and personal management. You it's know, like twenty—you're
0: a twenty-four-hour thing, aren't you? Because you you have people working for you all over.
1: <laughs> well, yes, but I mean, it's basically two people in my main team, and you know, we have an office, and we put the projects together, and we we meet every day, and we travel together. And so it's it's a lot of work for everybody, not just for me. And, you know, until the, the, the pandemic, we were planning, as you know, everything two, three years in advance, and suddenly everything's changed. Suddenly it's become, you know, about next week and tomorrow. And so... Well, we've, we've turned into sort of actors and pop stars because, you know, we can plan like, you know, we've always wanted to plan and not what are we going to play in five years time on this day. So all of that has come into the mix and made it even more challenging, I would say, but not less exciting.
0: Which brings me to my next question. Hope at Home, it... It has been the most incredible thing. I know you've been surprised by it too. It just exploded. And you've written a lovely introduction to the series in the booklet. But for people that haven't got the album yet, but who are going to buy it, (laughs) can you tell us about, I mean, the first day you said you were outside in the car, everything was packed, your kids were in the the car and you got the call, unpack, stay at home, the next concerts are all cancelled. And then you literally decided, okay, what am I going to do now? And out of this... Hope at Home was born.
1: Yeah, and it happened incredibly fast. I mean, I was due to go to to Rugen, to this beautiful island in Mecklenburg, and, and host a festival. We had something like 60 artists flying in from around the world. And Flying,
0: we, what's that? Yeah,
1: well exactly. <laughs> you know, and we'd spent two years planning this festival, and so we were ready to go, basically. And then I got the call, you know, you can stay home, unpack, you're not going anywhere. And then in quick succession, everything else, you know, as you know, I mean it was just knock-on-effect, and suddenly you were looking at this devastated season. There was nothing left. And so the first thing I did was, okay, well, I can't do anything. I'm staying home. You know, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to be with my family and just, you know, take stock of the situation.
0: Other people baked bread and did online fitness and read
1: books. Yeah. And that's what I did as well and went online a lot. And I started looking at at people doing their streams. And I was thinking, wow, this is amazing. You know, everybody's streaming. Everyone's playing. They're sharing music. And for about three or four days, I thought, this is fantastic. And then after about three or four days, I, I started to wonder, you know, the, the next stream came from the kitchen or came from the from the garage. And basically, it never really sounded all that good. And, what well, you know, why should it? It was just a cell phone. But, you know, having spent our lives trying to make it a beautiful sound and to communicate sound, I thought, is there a way of maybe combining this idea of getting out doing something spontaneous and live, but making it sound like a concert hall and that's when kind of my brain started ticking and uh, circumstances just happened I had been in touch with Arte funnily enough about two weeks beforehand we were on tour with the Zurich Chamber Orchestra and we played in Berlin and Wolfgang Bergmann who's the the head of of the German uh, section of Arte he and I were having a coffee and he was we were talking about a different project, which we've been going on for years, and he was he was pitching, and I was pitching, and we were kind of going at this this project. And as I left, he said, "By the way, what are you going to do if there's a lockdown?" And at the time, I didn't think there was going to be a lockdown because it was still we were still playing; it was still kind of normal. None of us did. No. You, you
0: remember those two the, the the weeks where we were like, "Oh, it's just the flu," yeah, and then those two weeks where all of a sudden everyone went,
1: "Ooh!" Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and as I kind of left the cafe, I said, "Well, I, I don't know. I might." Mm, Turn my living room into a, into a studio. And he kind of laughed and I laughed and off we went. And two weeks later, sitting in all of this, he called me back and he said, do you want to make that studio happen now? And I went, Phew, ah, um, <laughs> I said, well, it's about the sound for me because I'm sure we can make it look nice. But, you know, what about sound? Living
0: rooms are not famous for being good acoustics. No, of
1: course not. And uh, he said, well, I don't know how to do that. You know, we can send you sound guys. But I said, uh-uh, you know, this has to be really something... So I called Tobias Lehmann, Um, the you know,
0: famous our, our mutual, our He's so friend,
1: um, you know one of the greatest uh, sound engineers in the world um, at Teldex. I said, Toby, can you come over? Uh, and of course everybody was sitting at home so they went yeah okay I'll be over in, you know, in, <laughs> Ten in an minutes. hour yeah. <laughs> and there he was and he you know brought out his tape measurements and he you know said yeah 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 and you know you know, Toby he's so relaxed and he can make a beautiful sound anywhere but he really said no I think we can do something really nice here so then I called back Wolfgang and it, uh, Dear
0: listeners I must just add here that Daniel's living room is not your normal sort of box, <laughs> box living room with a sofa and a telly in it it is a fair size <laughs> with a grand it is. piano <laughs> it is.
1: Well, Actually, that's not my piano. We had to get a piano in. Yeah, yeah. We didn't. We don't have a piano, in fact. But once we've figured out this is going to happen, Wolfgang Bergmann said, "Okay, can you start tomorrow night?" And then we were like, "Oh my god, what's streaming the night after?" Yeah. So we said, "You know, I don't think we can make that happen." He said, "You have to, because if we if we're going to do it, we have to do it now." We didn't have a piano, so we we started phoning every piano shop in Berlin. Of course, they were closed or they were in lockdown or whatever. And the only piano we could find that was deliverable was uh, a Yamaha, which was kind of had an electronic function, which was set at 440. Ouch. Yeah. And 440 for everybody who doesn't know that is, is you know, in England, <laughs> in England, the A, the way it's measured is 440 hertz, which is a slightly lower A than in Germany. So every single German musician, many of your colleagues included, um, of course, came in and we said, oh, by the way, it's 440. They were, oh, no. <laughs> but that was the only piano we could get. And then the next night we were online.
0: And I have to mention your wonderful partner in hope at home crime, Christoph Israel yes. he was such a trooper, or um, well, he is such he a is. trooper the 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 pianist of the series. You just threw stuff at him didn 't you
1: <laughs> i did i did um, poor christoph he 's amazing, and you know I rang him up. Uh, straight away once this was happening because I, I needed a pianist I needed somebody that was not just a great pianist but someone who could arrange someone who could improvise and somebody who had that sort of laissez-faire way of getting on with things and um, you know I, I got him I said this is what we're going trying to do and he was like oh that sounds interesting you know when, when do you want to start I said tomorrow <laughs> uh, he said tomorrow okay um, and what do we want to play I said I have no idea but let's let's make a list and we'll take it from there. So he came over and I literally, I mean, I just printed out every piece I could find that I thought would would work. He brought some stuff with us and we spent about four hours, just played it all through kind of once. And that was it. And then from there, off we went, uh, except that, of course, it changed because he would say, oh, let's do this piece. Um, and two hours beforehand, he'd do an arrangement or I get Paul Bateman in England to do something and send it to us. So the whole thing kind of went through this amazing transformation and, you know, eight million streams later and 70 episodes later, uh, you know, I would never, ever have imagined that that would have been possible.
0: What an incredible time it was. And it's great that Deutsche Grammophon has uh, made it now timeless by putting uh, the, the highlights onto an album. And I'm gutted, of course, because... I actually was allowed to play in your living room and I brought a garden hose and played Mozart on the garden hose and it didn't make it onto the CD. I mean, come on. But
1: you were one of the first people I called. I remember <laughs> I, I was sitting in the, uh, the, uh, the car wash, in fact. Um, <laughs> At the car wash. Uh, there we go. I, I don't know why, why I thought of you in the car wash, but there we go. And I rang you up and you were like, and I was like, um, you know, I've got this idea. And you were like, oh yeah, another stream. Because everyone was streaming. <laughs> yeah, we were a bit sick of streams. Yeah, of but yours
0: sounded quite cool, I must say. And when I said, could I bring my garden hose? You said, sure. So.
1: Absolutely, Your garden hose is always welcome. But
0: it didn't make it onto the album, that's okay. That's okay. There was no part in the garden hose piece for violin, so it's fair enough. But or, it,
1: has, it has become a viral YouTube hit, your garden hose, <laughs> in my living room in the, Berlin. You have
0: to see the garden hose to appreciate it. I mean, uh, yeah, put it on album. But you, the, the album is like full of, you can't say favorites because it's like, you know, your babies, everyone yeah. was your favorite. But, yeah. but, but putting it all together, I mean, I, I had the wonderful privilege of having breakfast this morning with you and Till Brunner with Iris Bärb. And with you know wonderful musicians just listening to it it's it's a wonderful album to just you you can't expect what's coming next yeah.
1: exactly like like this series you know we didn't know often uh, until an hour beforehand what who we was were going gonna, to show up who was going to show up what we were going to play you know which repeats we were going to take which versions which keys some of it was so spontaneous some things worked, some things didn't because that was the way it was you know there were uh, incredible moments like Robert Wilson who, who I bumped into in the street outside my house uh, who was in lockdown and said can I come over and read something and I said sure <laughs> um, and then he, he came over with his own text that he's written and then I tried to fit it uh, in between music and I realized it wasn't going to work so I said okay we had other pair Spiegel in Spiegel I said let's play Spiegel, in Spiegel and Spiegel you read on top of the the music and we did that with no rehearsal whatsoever and that I mean you know that was like 300,000 people heard that saw that wrote about it still writing about other pair even heard it and saw it I mean there were moments that just where you realize wow something like this would never happen. Well Simon Rattle. Yes, he um, came, up. you know, who who I never met before. I met him in my actually, living room. Dear where.
0: listeners, um Daniel actually sent me a text saying, "Do you think I can ask Simon?" I was like, yes, yeah, sure. Simon'll do it." And I thought, "Okay, well we better ask him first, yeah. but
1: I was I was sure he would." But you know, I mean just the fact that you were able to reach these people that was of course due to the to the lockdown. Well, um, as
0: you said, everybody was sitting at home. So, you know, the, to appear on your show was a total high highlight actually to perform because we're musicians. It's not it's not a job for us. We we are what we do and that was all taken away very, very suddenly. And I mean everyone has had had their, their corona stories and and, and everyone's been through a rough time. But seeing it as a perspective of a musician who we're we're used to exposing our souls on stage and, and, and using it as a form of of expression. Yep. And that was gone. So yep. your to play in your living room was a highlight.
1: Well, you know, we had also actors. We had you know, Katerina Riemann, We had uh, what was fantastic. I, I, I called Barry Kosky very early on. That was uh, a wonderful one. And he, I just said, you know, can you come over? He goes, sure. What what else am I going to do? I'm, I'm looking at my diary. It's empty. What day? Pick a day. You know, that's a dream to hear something like that. And then. The fact that I could just choose something, I mean...
0: That would never have happened in in our real corona-free world, because you can't get these people on short notice, ever.
1: No, no, you can't get them. And also, as you know, as an experienced television producer, when you have a concept which has gone through a television station, it's planned really very, uh, you know, uh, carefully. Um, You know, you have to have... These thoughts with this repertoire, with this, and then explain conversation. why
0: you're going to do this, and yeah, and um, what cameras we need, and uh, you could just do anything you want I loved,
1: you know, going from from waiting for Godot uh, to Simon and Garfunkel to Billy Joel to Alfred Schnittker. You know, in the same show, that was the thing, and no one stopping you. It was like let's keep going until somebody complains. No one could because it was live. That was the thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that's a lot of text, Daniel. And for me, I, I mean, I, I've done a lot of TV as well, and I was in total awe of what you did because you had no sometimes, but maybe it's better like that. We don't have all this preparation time. We don't have to learn scripts. We, we just sort of <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. And I don't um, know how that
0: sounded on the radio on the podcast just <laughs> delightful, now, delightful, but... <laughs> I'm
1: sure. <laughs> no, it was that was a very important point it was that there was no script there was no time for a script and people started sending in videos you know we started to play videos from people around the world or requests things like that and then you got these terrible you know news broadcasts you know italy the death count in italy america you had all these terrible things and so what we were trying to do was to bypass the bad news basically and just focus on something where we thought this is nice this is this is uplifting this is perhaps inspirational or funny or different or whatever mm-hmm. and there i have to say a huge thank you to arte because they just i mean and wolfgang bergman in particular he just said do it i'm i i do not want to know just do it and if if something really bad happens i'll call you and every day i got texts yeah this was okay this wasn't so good blah 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 but he never said don't do that he just said go with it And that's the kind of freedom, I think, probably only existed in the 1970s and 80s in the BBC, you know, when Monty Python were making their shows and they, you know, went to... Yeah, you couldn't
0: script those. No, but
1: it was just like, you know, the freedom, I mean, that freedom doesn't really exist anymore. And so that was a great privilege.
0: Do you think that people discovered the power of music more while they were sitting in lockdown?
1: I, I think so, yeah. Certainly from the comments and that was very moving i mean every single day every night after every show to to receive 600 messages let's say some very short some you know pages and pages um people who were caring for for sick people for lost ones people who had been directly affected people who just wanted to go and listen to music again it was it was a cross section and then because i think the fact because it was english and that was also very, very lucky that we were allowed to do it in English. It was,
0: because Arty is really not a, an English channel at all, is it? No, French and German.
1: No, and it started off being, you know, sort of about German with a bit of English. And I, I just felt more comfortable in English because I could ad lib completely, freely. And it just sort of took off from there. And as a result, you had this worldwide audience. And from there, it just grew, really.
0: It was an incredible time. How did you feel after seventy seventy shows?
1: Exhausted. I bet exhausted, but very, very inspired. I have to say.
0: So, how was your how was your day? What was a day in the life of Hope at home?
1: Well, the first sort of forty or thirty eight shows we did at literally at home. Um, after that the other 30 were on the road so during the the lockdown it was basically always the same Christoph and I would be usually texting or on the phone until about two in the morning with ideas for the next day and then I would have you know breakfast for the kids and spend basically as much time as I could with them until sort of around three four o'clock four o'clock Christoph's would have arrived we'd quickly go through the pieces we were going to do what about practice um you know in between here and there basically
0: with kids climbing up your legs yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean um
1: as soon as the kids are in bed basically that's the practice time for me but getting up in the morning and with them being at home it was about spending time with them and lucky we had amazing weather, if you remember. For most of, of that lockdown, it was beautifully sunny.
0: It was the sort the of, climate thanking us for stopping
1: somehow, stopping
0: driving and flying, I somehow.
1: think. Somehow. So we were often outside. We were in the garden. We were in a park. We were walking around in our little area, which is in, contained anyway, and um, trying to kind of have a sort of sense of, of normality. And then from four o'clock, everything went, you know, bananas. And you had this very, very tense sort of time, but which was very uplifting. And then the guests would usually arrive between four and 4.30. Quick sound check. And then six o'clock live. Yeah, oh, I remember.
0: Know. It was quite mm-hmm. a, whoo, here we go. And and I hadn't yeah. performed for so long. <laughs> That's and it right. was really yeah. weird well, many, feeling.
1: Everyone was like that. It was like, my goodness, I've got to, oh. <laughs> you know, uh, Ami High Gross as well. He was like, oh, my finger's got to get back into
0: it. <laughs> it was scary. Yeah,
1: it was scary. It was scary for me as well, you know. But then I got into this routine and, then, and I, I really started loving it. And then, of course, having friends, have you come around, have um, people, you know, Katia Riemann, um, people that I really admire there, and then just listening to them play. It was like, oh, wow. Like you say, that's, that's what it's about. It's a concert. Here we are. And yet it's kind of my own private concert, and yet we're sharing it with everybody. So it was a, a combination of beautiful feelings and sentiments, I would say.
0: Well, congratulations, for Rodol. And I'm so happy that we have the album to remember it by. And you had Hope at Home, and then you had Hope at Home on tour. <laughs> Hope at 9 p.m., which is your Concert House series um which means you're going to be at the concert house at 9 p.m.
1: that's uh, well i've been doing you, that for 4 years for four now years. in fact um it's uh, sort of 3 or 4 times a year it's a kind of um
0: a, it's a, a music a, a, talk show. I was going to say moderation concert. Yeah. Uh, Daniel, and I have the problem that we've got terribly lazy with our language, <laughs> and we speak this this form of dinglish, Deutsch, and English, <laughs> yes. and uh, ein moder- it's, it's just hard, isn't it, sometimes to remember the words. And it is. So if you want to say how was how was the drive to work? Oh, there was a big stau, <laughs> yes. a big traffic jam. <laughs> stau is easier to say than traffic jam. Yes. <laughs> so your your hope at home was was presented concerts, and then you you explain it, then you played again. Was uh, that the one?
1: The, the mean, 9 p.m. concert? Hope at Nine, no, Hope at 9 is, is in uh, the small hall, the, the Werner Otto Saal of the concert house. I came to one of those you did. Beautiful black box I, yeah, with right. with a live audience. And I have one guest there and that person is interviewed. And then there's live music in between and we have two stages. And we've been doing it since 2016 and it's, and had a great... Success. That's and where the
0: at came from. That was where the at idea came from.
1: Actually, it wasn't. That that was. Um, I mean, that was Concert House um, who came up with that idea. That the hope at home thing was my wife because Arte was saying, "What do you, you know? What do you want to call it?" And they come up with all sorts of unusual titles. I should say. And we weren't really sort of going with it, and um, I said to my wife, "What do you think?" And she just said, "Well, it's easy. Hope at it's home. It's perfect. It was and just so I, perfect." N- none of us had thought of it. It was like, it's, "There we go." You know, so always, so up, always next, ask your wife. Definitely. If I
0: had one, I would ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, hope at okay. So what's the next at?
1: Oh, I don't know. <laughs>
0: Hope at. Well, we'll have to think about that. If anybody has any good ideas, do let us know. I should
1: follow your, your Haunt and Do, Hope and Mambo. How Hope about and, and Mambo. Well, okay. I'd like to see. It's a shame we've got no
0: cameras here. I'd like to see you doing that. I'm not so okay. sure it's a shame. <laughs> so... Congratulations on that! It was really incredible. But I've mentioned you've done all sorts of other things, and you are intending to do all sorts of other crazy things. Once, once this we yeah this crazy we all say once this is all over. You know, even my four-year-old nephew told me, Auntie Sarah, you can come when there are planes, and this is all over. So he's been hearing when this is all over for a long time. You know, you are Mr. President. May I call you Mr. President? (laughs) It's very important being Mr. President. I think we better explain that before people switch off. You're a president. Of the Beethoven House in Bonn, correct. And this is a very important year
1: to be doing that. It is. I mean, Beethoven is a very important person and figure for me. But of course, this uh, Beethoven anniversary year—the 250th anniversary—is uh, a huge year, or was supposed to, supposed to be a huge year. Of course, much of that has been cancelled, but nonetheless, there has been a great celebration of his life and work. And since the beginning of February, I was elected the new president of the Beethoven House in Bonn, which is...
0: You get in free.
1: I do, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I do. It's um, it's it's worth um, hanging in there because, yeah. Totally, you, you I get, might apply. You also get to play on the instruments. Oh, you get amazing. to listen in
0: his ear trumpets as well. You do all of
1: that. You get to oh. see the manuscripts and the... Uh, get into the vault.
0: Amazing. I haven't seen in the vault. And
1: I mean, to anybody out there who's not been to Bonn or to been to this uh, Beethoven house, I mean, it is a museum. We have a museum. It's exactly the house in which Ludwig van Beethoven was born. There's a fantastic shop where you can buy absolutely anything connected to him. And there's a concert hall, which I'm sure you play there. It's a 250 seater uh, state of the art concert hall right next door. So we have the chance to put on live concerts, which the organization has been doing for, for decades. And also, there are eighty researchers who devote their lives to Beethoven study. So it's the most important center for Beethoven studies in the world. And they so have a great
0: thing for kids too. I love all those little do. interactive things on the on, uh, downstairs in the in the computer corner.
1: They do. I mean, it's it's a fantastic way of celebrating Beethoven. And so I was incredibly honoured when they elected me. To be at Zimmermann stepped down uh, at the end of last year, having uh, been there for several years. I decided she wanted to do something different so that the position was vacant. I didn't apply for it. They approached me and then they vote. And before Tawiyat it was Kurt Mazur. And the, the real main reason for me to take the position, apart from loving Beethoven, Yeah, was you the didn't fact, have much else to do. No, well, exactly. <laughs> um, no, it was that the very first president was Josef Joachim. And he, for me, is is just one of the most spectacular scintillating figures of all time I mean not just an amazing violinist but a, a composer a teacher a concert promoter somebody who redefined the way you put on concerts his programs are amazing absolutely ravishing brilliant cut we would call them cutting edge now uh, he was way ahead of us um, plus he's he's in fact buried in the same cemetery as my great great grandfather they they're they not far apart so there's a kind of um, almost a sort of a, a family-type connection, at least in my mind, to Joachim. So to very, very humbly follow in those in those hallowed footsteps was a tremendous honor for me. And um, I want to also tell the world a little bit about Joachim, once forgotten a bit about him and he was the one that in fact created the idea of a chamber music festival the very first chamber music fest in the world was put on by Joachim in the late 1880s or early 1890s devoted to beethoven and to contemporary composers of the time and so we're for my first chamber music fest which is next year i've moved it back into may which is the time in which he did it and we're going to reconstruct the programs he did Fantastic. so it's going right back to exactly what he did
0: that's what being president means. You can put on, uh, curate concerts, yes. and it's not just playing on all the instruments in the...
1: No, it's, the <laughs> it's, it's really... <laughs> That's fantastic. You can make it what you want to make it, and everyone has done it. You know, uh, Tabea did a fantastic job in her own way, as did Kurt um, Everyone's different, and they don't require you to do something. It's an honorary post. But you can do as, as much or as little as you want, and um, I've already done a lot for and with them, a lot of producing there. The very final episode of Hope at Home was there. Um, with Matthias Goerne and Gérard Gerstein, it was also nice to end the series there in the Beethoven House. And as you might remember, we had Beethoven's life mask with us all the time. That was
0: very cool uh, in your living room, and he had a mask on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and we even had him in the Beethoven House, so we, we took him home. Oh, <laughs>
0: that's absolutely lovely. Well, congratulations on that. You've you've written books, you present radio shows, and and now soon to to be presenting TV shows for WDR, WDR the German. German TV station, radio station. If you have to sort of pick a priority, would it be your violin practice?
1: Yes. Violin practice and violin playing, um, because that is what defines me and that is what I love. And without that, I couldn't do all the things that I do. And you know that um, it's it's that performance as a musician. You know that
0: late night practicing in your hotel room when everyone else has—you finished a a, a film shoot or you know recorded something. Everyone else has gone out to dinner, and you're sitting there practicing because you know you have to. There we go,
1: there we go, and practice mutes. Aren't they amazing? (laughs) I mean, and a a violin practice mute uh, reduces it that no one can hear anything. I mean, I practice really uh, in cupboards and in uh, you know in bathrooms in hotels, and, and I've never ever had a complaint, which is amazing. amazing
0: what's the minimum for a violinist to keep it sort of going because i mean i know violinists i shared a flat with cellists when i was at music college and they were practicing six hours a day eight hours a day and i was finished after three because my lips hurt
1: it's a good excuse anyway (laughs) it really depends on the person it depends on on what you do and what kind of repertoire you play you know there are some people that that need four to six hours and it has to be every day every single day do you uh, I don't.
0: Oh, good thing too. I when don't. would you get your other
1: things done? But I, you know, when I studied with Zachar from the time I was 16 to sort of 24, I was doing six to eight hours a day. So I know what that's like. And uh, it's very easy to get back, actually, if you, as long as you don't do it in one stretch, I can never do more than 45 minutes without a break. And then I keep going. If I do that, I can practice all day. But if I try and do three hours in, on, on the trot, I get into trouble. So uh, I actually often have to stop myself because I would carry on. But in terms of of the repertoire that I play, and it's very carefully planned, you know, the orchestral repertoire that I direct from the fiddle and stuff, I would say an hour to two hours a day is is you feel really kind of tell well us about, on
0: that. Tell us about that, directing from the fiddle, because you're the um, musical director of the Zurich Chamber Orchestra and you're doing a lot with them. You guys are everywhere. <laughs> it's great.
1: Well, they're a spectacular orchestra that I've known since I was four years old because they were the orchestra in residence at Menuins Festival in Gstadt when I was just literally discovering music. And now since 2016, I've been their music director. And we do around 50 to 60 concerts a year. We do at least two major tours. We were on tour, in fact, up to the lockdown. We, we managed to play 12 concerts in Germany right up until the lockdown. And then literally all the halls that we were in shut down two or three days later. It was founded in 1945 by Edmund de Stutz and has had several uh, wonderful conductors. My predecessor was Sir Roger Norrington. I am not a conductor and I have absolutely no desire to be one. But Do I, they
0: need a conductor or no. is it completely enough to play the violin and show?
1: It's more than enough. They're so uh, finely tuned and so used to chamber music. It's it's a tremendous privilege to play a Mozart or a Beethoven concerto with them and not to actually have to worry about anything because they are there all the time. We've started doing symphonies, we did Beethoven Mozart symphonies together where I'm leading as concertmaster. And it's a fix for me, a musical fix. I just love it. I soak it up and they are spectacular orchestra what do
0: you think is the, the the limit of conductorless I mean what Mozart Beethoven you can direct from the fiddle could you go into Brahms for example mm, I, Mendelssohn something I think, like
1: that I think four horns is the limit that's my <laughs> problem <laughs>
0: what are you trying to say with that the minute we put four horns in there the uh, the horns won't, don't behave and need a conductor no I you think you don't think we watch a conductor
1: no 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 I don't mean that I think it's harder to control from the violin when you're playing the solo p- part because you've got so much going on I, d- I did the and concerto so, and that was was tricky, even though that was I did it with many different wonderful orchestras who are used to working without conductors. But the minute you have four horns, I think in terms of the texture, um, you it's it's difficult. I think it's difficult. I love the horn. You know, that, I'm not Sarah.
0: quite sure if there's some underlying uh, critic going on here against horn players. Yeah, but, but two uh, horns, Mozart's uh,
1: mozart size, uh, works works perfectly yeah. absolutely perfectly, know, you know and i mean the best i think you know uh, uh, two horns to oboes you can just it's you know it's christmas time um and then of course I, not Beethoven for us. it's
0: terribly <laughs> scary to just be two horns and two <laughs> oboes
1: but i also did the schulhof concerto which is strings and two horns works fantastically um and after that you know i mean there are people that do direct full symphony orchestra is just from the violin I'm not quite there yet I, I like to take it slow I only did Beethoven one and two so far I haven't gone further three
0: is quite a would be quite a difficult four would might be alright I but.
1: think but you know I would need to really work at it and rehearse it and stuff it's not something I just kind of throw into I did a Messiah uh, from the violin that was that was challenging but one did of the you
0: mouth all the words
1: I did yeah gosh I did and it was one of the greatest experiences of my life I have to say perhaps not for everybody else but for me at least <laughs> and I learned about working with singers I learned in in the what did you
0: learn about working with singers
1: I learned that you have to be on your toes all the time I learned that they will very often sing very differently in the performance than they do in every single rehearsal and that you have to be very very clear with the orchestra if there's no Conductor and you're playing along. I was lucky because I had Simon Halsey and his choir, so they prepared it perfectly. I didn't, in fact, even have to worry at all about the choir. They just inspired me all the time. But it was a challenge with the soloist and the orchestra in front of me and playing. And yeah.
0: So what's coming up? I mean, you have this wonderful cooperation with Deutsche Grammophon, and there's been amazing albums. What, what do you want to do next? Because with all this amazing stuff that you are doing. And and we can't really plan right now. I mean, no. that, that will hopefully all change. It, it's really hard to say, as you say, I'll play this piece in five years from now. I mean, our whole business has completely changed. Mm. So how are you combating that? What are you planning? Are you allowed to even tell us? Uh, no one's listening. <laughs> no, no,
1: absolutely not, I'm sure. Uh, in fact, I've just recorded two new albums. Um, well, there we go. <laughs> because, the, as you say, the work with Deutsche Grammophon for me is very, very important. I've been with them since 2007, 13 years now, and we've made over 20 albums together. And we're a terrific team. And I thought, I'm going to use this time where we can't travel and we don't know what's going on to go back into the studio and produce. So I have two two albums, um, one of which is a, a homage to Alfred Schnitke, this composer that I was very lucky to know very well and the other one is is uh, i can't really tell you about but it's a lot of fun and we we've just fit more or less finished it this weekend uh, has, it been difficult,
0: has it been difficult to record and with all these
1: corona restrictions? It's been a challenge. We've had to do, in certain um, cases, we've had to do uh, kind of some overdubbing as well, which and so far we never did. We didn't have to do. That means you know, somebody's recorded one track and you record on top of it. Um, it seems to be the new
0: <clears> normal these days.
1: I guess. It's still not, it's not the classical way. You know, I like to be there and play live in the, in the moment with my partners and friends, you know what it's like. But sometimes there's no choice. And especially working with singers and choirs at the moment is almost impossible. Therefore, as one of these projects does involve singing, we had to find ways of making it work. But it was wonderful to go back in the studio and to, um, you know, that, that the buzz you get and knowing something's coming. It might take six months, a year, whatever, but it's done. It's there. For the rest, you know, I do this weekly radio show for WDR3, uh, the WDR, uh, German a radio channel. And so I, I produce in advance. I, I use the time to work on that a lot. And slowly we're getting back to concerts. You know, I'm playing almost every week now. We've got a big concert coming up in Prague uh, next weekend. Um, in fact, on the on the river, um, just near the Charles Bridge, we're going to play on a floating stage for a thousand people if it's allowed with boats coming and stuff
0: we need it don't we i mean i don't mean the floating boats bit i mean that's great (laughs) we need culture uh, we uh, we need need music we need
1: live music and i think the danger as wonderful as all these streams are and you know of course i'm i'm part of this culture um the danger is that people might start to think we don't actually need live culture anymore because we can get by with something else and i think that's a dangerous signal and so, you know, last weekend we were in the in the Philharmonie in Essen. We played for the orchestra there. Uh, again, distanced. I think we had 700 people, but, you know, 700 is a lot more than in some places More or than countries. we have in the
0: Philharmonie right now.
1: Yeah. And we had, you know, two nights in a row. We couldn't play Prokofiev Concerto because the, the, audience, the orchestra was too big. We had to reduce, so we played Mozart. But, you know, so there are compromises that we all have to make right now. But if we want to protect music and if we want to share it and if we want... For the next generations to have culture there, we have to do it now. So I'm trying to keep the diary open as much as I can and, and be flexible
0: and we encourage all our dear listeners to go back to live concerts. It's great to sit at home and see all the all these wonderful things and listen to great podcasts with amazing guests, but we we need you. You know, we musicians we need you. We do. We really need we we played for for an empty philharmonie in Berlin for yeah. you know, for many weeks during during lockdown and you get sort of used to it after a while, but Nothing beats a live audience in that interaction. And the only one good thing I think to come out of Corona is that nobody coughs in concerts anymore.
1: <laughs> I know everybody's incredibly quiet. It's it, it's true. But I, when we went on stage at the at the Beethoven House for the final episode of Hope at Home, we went out there and, and Matthias Goerner uh, came out and there was this big applause. And and he stopped for a second because he, you could tell he was really moved. And he he kind of grabbed my arm. He said. That's what it feels like again, you know. Just things that we've we've were so taking for granted, and suddenly it happens again, and you realise, ah, there it is. Or you see somebody react, even if they have a mask on or not, doesn't matter. But you see that they're moved. You see that they're they're in in the music, and, uh, and that's why we do what we do.
0: Daniel, thank you so much. I there's a lot of applause going on for you right now. I can feel it over the over the airwaves. But you're not getting away quite yet. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> As you know, because you've had to take the challenge yourself, at the end of all my TV programmes there's been a, a famous horn challenge where the celebrities of our music world have had a horn put into their hands and they've they've been told to make a noise. I seem to
1: remember I did incredibly badly. You
0: did amazingly. <laughs> it was sounded, you know, like a mini elephant, but wasn't, it,
1: can... wasn't it Life Over Ensner's that did a fantastic work? <laughs> You, was, he used
0: to play the euphonium. There we so, go. So that was a there, little bit a cheating. Bit, yeah. But um, he dedicated <laughs> it to his wife, who is a horn player. So that okay. was fine. Your, yours was quite impressive, I seem to remember. Mm. And of course, now, unfortunately, Corona times, I can't put my horn into your hands and make you play it because, you know, it must be terribly dangerous. But what I can do is challenge you some other way. And I thought I would like to ask you for maybe a, a great horn story during recording something. I think there was something about Shostakovich. And then I have one last question to finish off the podcast
1: with. A great horn story, yeah. Um, uh, there are there are several horn stories actually, but I do remember the ones one. you
0: can repeat on the, well, on the air.
1: Yes, uh, part of which, <laughs> at least, I do remember a recording session with an English orchestra, a London-based orchestra of the Shostakovich violin concertos one and two, and the conductor was a Maxim Shostakovich, the son of Dmitri, and the second. Violin concert to the last movement. You know, there's this famous battle between the violin and the horn, and the horn is muted, and it's it, you have to kind of one up uh, the each other. The poor horn other. player
0: has to it almost bust uh, the bust a gut doing that because you have to play so loud with the muted. That's right,
1: and it's supposed to sound quite nasty and sort of brittle. And um, he 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 wasn't quite on the same wavelength with the conductor, and there was this battle that ensued, and we all found our feet at that moment as the conductor and and the horn player. Uh, clashed swords but actually the recording is clashed horns indeed the recording is actually quite good though at the end but you wouldn't have thought so
0: (laughs) and then do you have a a most feared passage as a violin soloist are there any passages which you think okay let's hope this goes well
1: Well, I mean, the famous one, of course, is the Beethoven concerto at the end of the second movement, where everything's got incredibly quiet, and the violin is just on its own in quavers. And whether you have a conductor, whether you don't, there's always that moment that if if you're on your own, you turn to the right to see the horn over your right shoulder. If you're with a conductor, you look up the conductor and say, are you going to bring them in? And you hope that, of course, that it happens. And I would say, you know, uh, let's say 50-50, you know, you have I had it all.
0: Well, I must say, as a horn player, I I, I my, my heart starts to pound, even just hearing you <laughs> sing those few notes, because it's a very scary moment for us. Yeah. Everything goes very quiet. We are sitting way back, we haven't played for quite a I while. Know, that's also true. And and it's in it's it's first and second horns, and literally nothing else is going on except the, the violin. And we've had quite some some nasty looks before because it's so loud. But but good old <laughs> Beethoven, he said, use a mute. And we were yeah. talking about practice mutes before, yeah. and I just happen to have mine here, and I would like to. Show you our solution to this to
1: this bit. I say, marvellous!
0: So my horn just happens to be here. I never travel anywhere without it. And so this this is the this is the bit you are now. Daniel's getting out his phone and he's going to film this. Now that's actually very cruel. But this is the bit, dear listeners, that we are talking about. I don't know where to come in. Have to give me a down bit. <laughs> <laughs> So you see, bravo, it sounds like nothing, but it's terrifying. It's terrifying. And then we have to put our mute in. That was
1: marvellous. It was marvellous. That was marvellous. But it
0: has to be like 500 times quieter Quieter. than that. So we've done it with our practice mute. So it sounds like this. Ready? I must tell you, I'm putting in a big black practice mute, which is actually not meant for orchestral use, but it turns it into this.
1: That's beautiful. Would isn't it? you have that accepted colour, that? I would have. I would, would you have given us filthy leisure. looks? No.
0: No. Oh, I'm so relieved. I would have well. turned
1: around and applauded. <laughs>
0: So next time you play that piece, you've said Beethoven Violin Concerto is your favourite concerto It to is, play. yeah, it is. So be nice to the horns, please. <laughs> Always. Thank you for taking the horn challenge. I'm sorry we couldn't have the pleasure of listening to you play I'm today. I'm not sorry.
1: I'd much rather listen to you. But in a,
0: in a post-corona world, when this is all over, as my nephew says, yes. we will get back to that. And you will be challenged, Hope. You will be challenged.
1: <laughs> you know where to find me.
0: <laughs> Congratulations on all you do. Thank you, Sarah. I adore you. You are a Thank wonderful you. musician and person and thank you for being on the Deutsche Grammophon International podcast. Thank you for having me. And dear listeners, we'll see you back here very very soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.